there was a slogan. One, one gas station years ago had a slogan that says, We help you move faster. Of course, today, maybe it should be, We take all your money. I don't know. That, that <laughs> but what if, what if moving faster isn't the answer? Americans have this fascination with things that will save us time. Uh, just think with me over the last 20 years, maybe 30 years, the number one best-selling shampoo of all time rose to the top, not necessarily because it was good, but because it combines shampoo and conditioner in one step, thus eliminating the need for that all-time-consuming rinsing that people used to have to do. Domino's became the number one uh, name in pizza because the company promised to, li- to deliver in how much time? 30 minutes or less. You may not know this because some of y'all are, are, are a little bit younger. Their CEO, when they first started, and, and when I was in college, that was the only pizza place that delivered. So if you're a college student and you want something after hours delivered, that was your only choice. Their CEO said, we don't deliver pizza. Or we don't, we don't offer pizza, we offer speedy delivery. And if you ever tasted the pizza back in the early to mid-80s, you'll know that they didn't deliver pizza um, I think just a little bit of sauce on cardboard. That was what it was. Um, we sell delivery. They said, we don't sell pizza. We sell delivery. Um, they've since been replaced in that number one category by another pizza chain that emphasizes both the pizza and delivery. But you get my point that, that fast used to be the thing. Several years ago, USA Today did a study, did a report on hospital, this one particular hospital in Detroit, Taking a cue from Domino's, they promised to see people in the emergency room in 20 minutes or less, or the service was free. And y'all ever, y'all ever been in the emergency room here? Um, what do you think happened to, to the uh, number of patients coming to that emergency room? It went through the roof because people said, you know, I want to go get help, but I don't want to spend six or seven hours uh, <laughs> waiting on that help. We worship at the altars of the golden arches, not because they sell good food, not because they even uh, sell cheap food, but because they sell what? Fast food. But think about this. Even after we invented fast food, you still had to drive to the restaurant, park your car, get out, walk into the restaurant, order, take your food to the table, all of which took time. So we invented drive through lanes so that families could eat in vans as God intended. <laughs> Americans just have this, this, we're in this endless cycle to accomplish more or to participate in more and more activities in less and less time. Now, you all agree that there's hurry sickness in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, Ryan didn't even let Alex get finished with the question a while ago. Have you got hurry sickness? Uh, <laughs> Well, we all have this disease, so what does it have to do with the church? I want to show you um, a scene in Mark chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. The disciples had just finished this incredible season of ministry. Jesus had been with them for almost three years at this point. He had been teaching them daily. They traveled around and watched God's Son do incredible things. Miracles beyond their wildest imagination. Calm the seas. Feed 5,000. Raise people from the dead. To the point that they said, this is God's Son. We're going to give our lives to following God's Son. Now Jesus knows that His time on earth is drawing to a close. And so what He does is, He gives them um, this assignment to go out without Him. He gets them in pairs, and he sends them to all of these cities, and he tells them what to do. And basically, this is the final exam before he leaves the earth 
goes back to heaven and leaves the, the future of the church to these dipsticks. Okay, I say that affectionately because we are just as nuts as them and, and he, he expects us to carry on the mission of the church. So they, they have gone out and, and they have cast out demons. They've healed people. Um, they've t- taught people about Jesus. And when they come back, they have this kind of meeting. And you can just imagine the things that the disciples saw Jesus do, they had been doing. So do you think they were excited when they came back? Woohoo! They were on top of the world and they start telling Jesus about it. And Jesus is all excited for them. And then I want you to notice what he does because this is, this is extremely important to what we're talking about today. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. That could be a life motto for some people today. Don't have time to eat. And some folks think this is a good thing. As if at the end of their lives when they stand before God, he's going to say, you didn't even have enough time to eat. Well done! Is that how Jesus lived his life? No. Jesus wanted them to take some time off. And here's the point. Following Jesus cannot be done at a sprint. And the principle Alex alluded to earlier is if you want to follow someone, you can't go faster than the one who is leading. My children amaze me because we'll go somewhere they have never been before. Big places, football games, things they've never been to before. They've never entered the stadium before. And they're so excited that they'll be 25 yards in front of me. And then they'll get this confused look on their face and turn around and go, where do we go? And, and my comment always is, if you don't know where you're going, follow someone who does. And so then they'll get in line and they'll follow. But how many of y'all have done that when you're going somewhere in a caravan? Not literally in a caravan. Which, but you're, you're in a car and you're supposed to be following somebody and you know the way? and they're driving too stinking slow for you, you drive by, or, or even if you don't know where you're going and they're driving too stinking slow for you, what do you do? You pull up next to them and you try to coax them along faster? Come on! Let's get somewhere. Well, I want you to think about this obsession we have with going faster as you watch this video, and, and it just talks about time.
In the Bible, there's a verse that says, um, don't be anxious, but through prayer and supplication, that's, that's another way of praying, persistent praying, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. All right, so it says, don't be anxious, tell God what you need, what's going on in your life. And then there's another promise that says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you do the math, like on this video, and if you're not having peace in your life, could it be that you've not spent time, consistent time, with the God of the universe? Because the promise is, if you'll spend time with Him, peace will replace your worry. Jesus was one of the busiest people ever to walk the face of the planet. You don't have 5,000 people gathering to hear you talk, do you? I don't have 5,000 people gathering to hear me talk every time I talk. People clamored for Jesus' attention. He was one of the busiest people in the world to ever live on this earth. But Jesus was never in a hurry. You see the difference? When we get busy, we get in a hurry. It's because we've overloaded our schedules. When Jesus would get too busy, you know what He would do? Throughout Scripture, He would withdraw to a lonely place to pray. He would spend time with God so that His soul would be renewed. And then when people needed Him, He could give them His best. When you and I get busy and hurried, is the best what we give other people? Maybe the beast is what we give other people, the beast from within. Um, you and I need to learn this lesson. And just in case you think you're okay in this area of hurrying, I've got it down. Or maybe you think that, man, I'm just really good at hurrying and it doesn't affect my life. Well, let's look at some symptoms of hurry sickness. The first symptom of hurry sickness is constantly speeding up daily activities. Um, if you have hurry sickness, you are haunted by the fear that there are not enough hours in the day to get everything accomplished that you need to get done. We'll read faster, talk faster, and when listening, nod faster to get the other person to talk so that we can get done and move on to the next task. We just hate to wait. Now, here's where Alex was going with what he asked you to do. At a stoplight, if there are two lanes and each lane contains one car, we find ourselves guessing based on the year, make, model of the car, and the age of the person driving that car, which one will pull away faster? Hello? You ever done that? You have hurry sickness. At the grocery store, if we have a choice between two lanes, two checkout lanes, we find ourselves counting how many people are in each lane, each line, multiplying that number by the number of items in each cart to see which one we think will go faster. If you have a really bad case of hurry sickness, you keep track of the person who would have been you in the other line. And if you get out before them, because life is a contest, it's a good day, I won! Woo! But if that other person who would have been you checks out first, you are messed up because life's just not fair. It's not fair. You have hurry sickness if that's you. Here's another symptom of, of hurry sickness. Multiple tasking. Rushing around to get things done is not enough. We find ourselves thinking about how to do multiple things at the same time so that we can be more productive. And the car seems to be the favorite place to do this. Hurry sick people drive, eat, drink coffee, listen to the radio, shave or apply makeup, talk on the cell phone, text, text and make appropriate gestures, gestures to other drivers all at the same time. 
Now, texting is getting us in trouble, right? If talking on the cell phone causes accidents, what do you think texting while you're driving does for safety? No lie. I'm driving this week, and I hear on the radio that in England, they are actually thinking about padding the light posts on the sidewalk to protect texters. How stupid are we as a society if we got to pad the light post for the idiots who are trying to do too many things at one time? And, and I, you know, okay, truth-telling, the other day I was, I was texting Janie, actually in the, part, in the, in the driveway, because I didn't have time to go back in the house and talk to her. So I'm texting her. <laughs> and, and I was just going to say one quick thing. Well, then she says something, and I do something. And this is funny, because this was actually a selling point when, when Heather was trying to get me to add texting to my line. She's like, Doug, you're a perfect candidate for texting, because then you don't have to talk on the phone, which takes too much time, because you say something to that person, you've got to wait for them to respond. Then you get into this conversation. Texting, you can choose not to respond. And she said she doesn't like talking on the phone, so she'll text, you know, because it's brief. I'm thinking, okay, we add texting. So I'm sitting in my driveway texting my wife in the house, and then I, I back out. Well, she keeps doing things. And I, I stopped and I texted her by the mailbox. And then I started driving. Well, then she finally says, are you texting and driving at the same time? I said, I am now. If you would leave me alone, I would get where I need to go and I wouldn't be texting and driving. Multiple tasking. That is a symptom of hurry sickness. Okay, here's another one. Clutter. Here's another symptom. Clutter. Hurry sick people have cluttered lives. Look at their time organizers. It's like that big old family Bible, you know, that used to sit on the coffee tables. It's just packed full of stuff. Um, check out their desks. They keep stacks of books and magazines and then feel guilty for not reading them. I get about 40 emails a day. And I am at such a pace in my life right now that I delete them all. I don't even look at them. I look at it and I go, oh, I don't have time. Click, 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 delete. Whew. Got through another task. Don't have a clue what anybody sent me, but I got through another task because I just don't have time. Um, hurry sick people buy time-saving gadgets and then don't have the time or the patience to read the instructions to figure out how to use that thing that will save them so much time. The hurry sick people have cluttered closets, cluttered drawers, cars, basements, tops of the microwaves, tops of refrigerators. But it doesn't even have to be tangible clutter that you can see, feel, touch. Some people are weighed down with useless activities because they refuse to say no. They hadn't said no enough. So meaningless activities dominate their lives. And, you know, all of us go through seasons of, of uh, hurry sickness. But the real danger is when a season of hurry sickness turns into a way of life. You hear me? A season we can understand, but when that season never ends then we got problems. And I want to share with you the next few minutes the problems with hurry sickness, the, the effects of hurry sickness. The first one on your listening guide is this. If you are a hurry sick person, then the first effect is skimming. Skimming. And I want you to think about this. This is where you begin to economize in key areas of your life so that you keep all of your plates spinning. All right, let's think, think where you skim. First of all, you skim relationally. Marriage becomes more and more superficial. You will put band-aids on major wounds hoping for quick fixes. You will come home, drive into the driveway, and you will actually hope that nothing goes wrong because you have neither the time nor the energy to deal with a problem that's in your home. Intimacy, now that is a joke. 
And guys, if we're real honest and our wives aren't being responsive to us in the intimacy area, we need to look in the mirror because many times we've forgotten to romance them. (laughs) And uh, we actually should feel guilty in those situations for expecting things from our wives because we've we've not been the men that God wanted us to be. We've not loved our wives like Christ loved the church. Um, you'll see a problem popping up and this little red flag, this warning signal will go off. And you know what you do? If you have hurry sickness, you'll look away. And you'll desperately hope that the problem will solve itself because you don't have the time or the energy to deal with it. But not only do you skim relationally, you'll skim emotionally. And, and I see people like this all the time. They'll, they'll speed up their life hoping that... Um, that that will dull the pain of the anger and the separation and the loneliness that they feel. So they just go faster and faster and faster, hoping that 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 will take care of it. And you'll skim spiritually because speed does not lend itself to devotion. Look at this verse, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. The Bible tells us we cannot fully know God unless we are still. You can't be still and moving frantically at the same time. And I just got to confess something to you. These last two weeks with the volunteer Christian builders here, I have moved faster than I have moved in a long, long time. And the problem is, I was obsessed with trying to keep them busy. We had them for two weeks. They're incredible, incredible people. I wanted to keep them busy. So... If I didn't have enough material out at the job site, my phone would ring at 7.30 because they start working at 7.30 in the morning. Doug, we need this. And I I literally drove all over the county. I've been to Jacksonville. I've been to Athens. I've been out to uh, Tucker, which is just as far, it seems like, as Jacksonville or Athens. I've been all over, and I, I would drive four, five, six times all around town trying to keep them busy. And when the phone rings that early in the morning, you know what suffered? And I'm embarrassed to say this my time with God. I would roll out of bed fully intending to read my Bible and spend my time with God because that's what I do in the mornings. And the phone would ring and I would rush around. And I would think, oh God, God will understand. I'm doing the work of God. But when the work of God destroys the life of God in you, when the work of God destroys the love of God in you, Satan has got a victory. And uh, sitting there studying this this morning... Uh, I just, uh, my heart began to explode, just hurting because I've skimmed not only with God, but I've skimmed with my wife and I've skimmed with my children. And I'm just making a confession to you right now. This week I'm going to go on a date with all of them, one at a time, because that building is still going to be there. We're going to finish someday. Um but I've ripped off my family trying to do the work of God. And I've got my priorities messed up. I mean, I I literally go to bed every night thinking what has to be done the next day at the building. I wake up in the middle of the night. I got up last night because I couldn't sleep. Because I was thinking what needs to happen. And then this morning, going back over this, I just thought, you know, I'm ripping off my family. and, And I don't need to do that. 
I want desperately to get in that building, but going faster is not necessarily the best way to do that. Um, anytime you, you hurry in any relationship, uh, you destroy the, the capacity to go deep in that relationship because deep relationships happen through time. And hurry will actually destroy your soul. So skimming is the first effect. The second effect is an inability to love. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. They're opposites. Love takes time, and one thing hurried people don't have is time. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter, the famous love chapter. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Does that sound like hurried people to you? Does that sound like you when you're in a hurry? Are you very patient and kind and loving and considerate? I read a story about an airline pilot... um, told by an airline pilot. This elderly couple was getting on the plane and they were in front of a hurried sick man. They had been in front of him at the gate. They had been in front of him at the ticket counter, everything, all the way down, and now they were in front of him actually getting on the plane. They were moving slowly and he was in a hurry. They kept... They, this was in first class, by the way. So they... Uh, the. the elderly couple goes and it takes too long for them to get their luggage in the overhead bin and and he is just enormously frustrated then when they started serving the food they had to get up to get some pills out of the overhead bin and he just erupts he stands up and he screams what's the matter with you why don't you just stay home and then to to register his anger he gets back in his first class seat slams it back as hard as he can and he throws the elderly gentleman's uh, food all over him and his wife. The steward, his flight attendant, sorry, 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 I wasn't politically correct. The flight attendant comes up and, and just uh, apologizes profusely and says, Is there anything we can do? And the elderly couple explains to her, This is our 50th wedding anniversary and this is the first time we've ever flown. And she said, Let me at least bring you a bottle of wine. Uh, compliments of, of the airlines. So she does so, and when she gets there, the elderly gentleman takes a bottle of wine, they pop the cork, he stands up and he said, I would like to propose a toast. And he proceeded to pour the wine on the head of the hurried gentleman in front of him. And the pilot said, the entire first class cabin erupted in a cheer. Yay! Because when you are a hurried sick person, your heart is hardened and you're calloused, and you're selfish. Um, your heart gets hard and cold and turned inward, inward, and it will kill the relationships in your life. The bottom line is that when you have hurry sickness, you begin to live your life in a way that destroys the life of God in you. Third effect of hurry sickness is a vulnerability to sin. Not only are you a jerk when you're when you have hurry sickness, sin takes this incredible pull on your life. Look at Galatians 5, 19-21. This is the message translation, and it just spells it out. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. And, and I think we could put hurrying all the time right there 
and not miss the, the, the meaning too much from the verse. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of hurrying all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. That's what Paul's saying. I could go on and tell you some more stuff. When you are desperate and dry, you want something to make you feel better. And it's amazing the lengths to which you will go to satisfy an empty heart, an empty soul. Um, you actually begin to think that you deserve this indulgence because... Life's been hard, and it's time you got something that made you feel good. And this is how addictions get started. When your tank is empty, you're drawn to things that never looked good before. Some folks turn to pornography, some to drugs, some to other forms of immorality, some turn to overeating or other forms of fantasy life. And some people, as strange as this even sounds, will turn to adultery just to get a quick fix to make them feel better because their lives are empty. Now, if this, if this is rampant, this hurry sickness thing is rampant, if the effects are devastation, we better find a cure. And there is one. You know what it is? We have to simplify our lives. Now, this was so important, we spent three weeks looking at simplifying relationships, simplifying our spiritual life. Um, we looked at this because if we don't do it, if we don't make some choices... To simplify it, then, then we're going to have nothing left to our lives. One reason this is hard is because if we do it, it will mean changing our lives. How many of you love change? You say, I'm just an eager to change person. I love a different routine. You may say, I'd love a different house or a different car, but that's not what I'm talking about. I love change, right? We hate it. If we, if we really wanted change, Celebrate Recovery would be full every Friday night. Change is hard. And sometimes our empty, uh, desperate lives are more comfortable than the thought of change. So we stay right in the same... We try the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And you've all heard that that's one definition of insanity. Trying the same thing over and over, hoping to get a different result. Here's when people... Well, look at Proverbs 20:30. Sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. <laughs> I had a painful experience yesterday. I was in a hurry because I was trying to get out to the building to meet some people to work on the building. So I go to my friend's house to get a trailer because I needed his trailer. And the first thing I do is I call him on the phone because he's not there and I say, man, I can't get your trailer because the trucks are in the way. Then I got to looking at it and I said, I can get it out. If I go real slow, I can get it out. And I thought, I need that trailer. I don't have time to come back over here. I'm going to get it today. So I go back there and I lift up the trailer. There's a truck here and a truck here and the trailer's here. And I angle it and I look down both sides and I think, I can do this. If I just go slow, I can do this. So when I back up, instead of getting my Durango exactly straight, I was a little bit off. I hooked it up and I started pulling and I realized I was going to 
hit this guy's truck, which was probably not a good idea. So I go back and I try to lift it off because I was going to straighten it up and I was still going to take the trailer. But I couldn't get it off because I was at this angle. And anyway, besides, an interesting side note is I'd already been stuck out there earlier in the week trying to get this trailer in the first place. So he pulls it up to an easier place for me to get it. Okay. So I decide I'm going to take it off and, and try to realign. And, and here's where I made the first of several mistakes. I, sli- I slid the collar back and popped open the deal so that I could get the trailer back up not thinking about the hill that I was on. So I pop it into reverse. Sure enough, it comes loose. And I look in my rearview mirror, and there goes the trailer. So being the quick-thinking person that I am, I hop out of my Durango, run and catch the trailer going down the hill, and I see a tree over here, and I'm thinking, if I can just... Because there's no way. I mean, I am flopping going down the hill with this trailer dragging me. And I thought, if I turn the trailer, I can run it into the tree and save the day. So I turn the trailer, and it hits in the tree. Nothing is wrong until I hear... I didn't put my Durango in in park. And the crunching sound I was hearing was the door on my Durango being folded completely back against the fender as it scrapes my friend's truck and eventually knocks the mirror off. All the while, I'm sitting on the ground thinking, this shouldn't be happening. And the Durango is coming at me. I hop up, run, and I put it in, in, in park. And then I go, holy mackerel. I mean, I'm folded out like this. My door is folded back. And I'm shaking. You know, I don't know what's going on. I, adrenaline's going. And I'm thinking, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I called my friend and I said, dude, there, I told Jeff, as soon as I saw Jeff, I said... <laughs> <laughs> we can't see it. I had to put a bandage on it. Jeff wanted me to show you my one wound. I don't know how it happened. Once the adrenaline quit flowing, I had this huge knot and this cut on my leg, and I'm limping around the yard going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, <laughs> nobody's around in the house, and I'm in the middle of nowhere with my door folded back. So I call Janie, and I say, guess what, just ha- guess what I just did? And she goes, you got stuck. And I'm thinking, if only I had gotten stuck. <laughs> um, I said, no. I just peeled the Durango door back like a banana. And uh, stupidly enough, I'm talking to her on the cell phone, holding my door, driving 50 miles an hour down this back road to get to the church on time. Freezing my tail off because the wind is... Because I'd folded it back. And uh, I'm just brilliant, man. And at first, this is the dumber thing. At first, I'm talking with my left hand, trying to hold the door with my right hand, driving with my knee. And then I went, I'm going to die. I mean, my heart's still just going. I'm not thinking at all. Oh, no, the trailer's at the tree. So Hal and Charlie told me yesterday... Do not go to Andy's house again. If you need the trailer, we will get the trailer for you. Now, I tell you that because I have now spent a lot of money trying to get that trailer in a hurry. Both on the tow truck that had to pull me out when I was stuck, and now I, I, have, I don't even know how much I'm going to have to pay to get this truck fixed and, and my door fixed. Um, but sometimes it, makes us, it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. 
Andy, I'm talking to him last night, telling him what an idiot I am. And, and I, when I got stuck the first time, I had called him saying, I'm not going to get the trailer because I'll get stuck. And then I'm thinking, I can do it. So I get stuck. And then I had called him on the phone saying, I'm not going to get the trailer because I can't get the trailer. And he goes, Doug, next time go with your first instinct. <laughs> I said, thank you, Andy. I will. So here's the deal. Here's the principle. And this, I think this is on your listening guide. People change when they hurt enough they have to. That's me. <laughs> Learn enough that they want to or receive enough that they're able to. My, my earnest prayer is that new life will give you enough that you are able to change, not that you have to hurt enough to change. And there's some wisdom in uh, learning from other idiots instead of being the idiot yourself. Um, so if we're going to change, we've got to ask ourselves some tough questions. Here's some questions. First thing you've got to ask is, what got me into this? Was it too much travel? Was it unrealistic expectations? Yeah. What got me into this was my pride thinking, I could do it. I could do it. I can't do it. Um, was it too much travel? Was it unrealistic expectations of others? An inability to say no. Too many projects. An unrealistic job description. Am I going to have to resign from some boards, drop out of something, take a demotion? What got me into this mess? You're going to have to ask that question if you are going to repair your life. We've got to investigate our lives and that can be painful, and quite honestly, some of us do not want to take a tough look at our lives. Um, now, don't blame God for the pace of your life. We used this verse a couple of weeks ago in our, in our uh, Simplifying Your Life series. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own doing. I could blame God. I actually think it's God that made me hear the crunching door because the Durango was coming at me. And I'm on the ground. And uh, I think Janie's first thought was, I'm glad it wasn't me, you know, her folding the door back. But the second thought was, oh, thank you, God, that it wasn't worse. could have been worse. Because her idiot husband was in the jungle with nobody. <laughs> Jumping out of moving Durangos. Um, so we've got to look at ourselves and, and uh, quit blaming other people. Another question we've got to ask is, what will it take to get me out of it? To be cured of hurry sickness, you've got to realize what got you there, and then you've got to take a plan of action. You've got to take a step. Because if you don't, if you never take action, you're going to wake up one day when your heart is bankrupt and your relationships are bankrupt, and you're going to look back on your life and you're going to say, is this all I have to show for my life? For all I have to show for my time on earth? I learned a lesson from the volunteer Christian builders. Their schedule, they would get up. 7.30, they would start work. At uh, 10 o'clock, they would stop for a break. And everybody stops for a break. You don't stay in the building. They will, they will usher you over to the other... We, we had them over in the house is where we fed them. They would take a 30-minute break. Um, and, and, you know, my thought process is, I don't have time for a break. I don't have time to eat, you know, which is not a good thing. So they would go and they would share. They would eat and, and somebody would give a testimony, give a devotional. Um, at 10.30, boom, they're back on the job. Or I don't remember if it was 9.30 or 10 that they took their break. 30 minutes, they're back on the job. They're working. At noon, you stop for lunch. And you don't start again till 1 o'clock. They work from 1 o'clock till 3, take a break. 30-minute break. Then they come back at 3.30. 3.30 to 5. At 5, they stop. 
Now, all those breaks, you'd think you'd never get anything done. They hung 400 sheets of sheetrock. They did the tape in bed. They did all of the metal work on the outside of the building. They hung several doors. They framed our stage. They did a lot of the electrical work, putting in the plugs and the, and the switches. We've got to realize that, that um, if our souls are empty, you're not going to get a whole lot done. I heard a story about from an African colonial history book. A traveler had enlisted the help of some local tribesmen to help him carry his load. Check this out. First day, they moved fast and they covered more ground than he thought they would. And so this traveler got his hopes up that maybe they would get to the destination um, quicker than he thought, several days early. But the next day when it got time to go, the jungle tribesmen refused to move. They just sat there. And so this, this guy says, what in the world? Come on, let's go. We've got to go. And they said, no, yesterday we moved too fast. We, we covered too much ground. And today we must wait for our souls to catch up. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Some of us, our souls are months behind us. And we're living this, we're existing, we're not living. And our marriages stink. And our relationships with our children stink. And really, no matter how fat the paycheck is, it does not satisfy your soul. So we've got to do some soul searching and realize that um, we've got to take care of our souls. Last verse, Psalm 31, 14 and 15 says, You are my God, my times are in your hands. I want us to, to pray a prayer on the back of your registration cards. Fill out the card and then on the back. Um, I want us to pray a prayer if you're willing. Kind of, kind of taking part of this verse. Instead of my times are in your hands, I want us to just write to God as a prayer. My time, time, singular, is in your hands.